welcome to the NC Real Estate Podcast. I'm so excited that you're back here joining me again this week. Um, I have got my lovely guest, Brandy Goldsmith, with me here today, and I'm going to introduce it to you in a little while. But first, before we jump in, can everybody remember to come over to the Property Investment Mastery Facebook group, where at the moment I am running the 30-day Property Investment Cash Flow Challenge. This is a chance for you to start from zero and start building your income stream through property investment. Don't worry, I'm not telling you to get into debt. I'm not telling you to take out huge loans. And no, I'm not going to be asking you to cripple yourself with saving thousands of thousands of pounds a month. And also, I'm not expecting that you're going to click your fingers and tens of thousands of pounds worth of money is going to fall out of the air. No, we're not doing that. I am teaching you how to find just a little bit of money every single month that you can then invest wisely so that it keeps building up in your bank account and in these places of investment so that you can start earning that monthly cash flow that eventually will add up so that you can buy yourself that next property investment. I'm teaching you how to do it efficiently rather than in some scary way. So if you're interested in doing that, come on over to the Property Investment Mastery Facebook group. Okay, so now let me introduce you to Bryony Goldsmith. Thank you for coming on the podcast today. Absolute pleasure. We were introduced to each other probably a couple of months ago by Natasha Stone of the Surveying Sisterhood. Yeah, if not more, I think, actually. But yeah, yeah, we've been yeah. trying to do this podcast for a we while. Have. We have. <laughs> Clashing schedules just haven't allowed it to happen. Um, and I was so inspired when I was reading about you and you won the Women of the Future Awards in 2016. I did, I did. That was, um, yeah, it's been a bit of a roller coaster since then, but that was fantastic, yeah, for um, real estate infrastructure and construction was the category. Really? Yeah. And how did it feel at the time of all the nominations? Um, uh, a little bit um, overwhelming, but fantastic. So the Women of the Future Awards was set up by Pinky Leilani, um, and the RICS um, sponsor the Real Estate Construction Infrastructure Award. The thing I love about the awards is that they're so diverse. So mm-hmm. they're not they're not just about building. Um, they've got awards for media, for entrepreneur, for rising star, um, for mentor, um, across lots of different categories. So actually, yeah. the women I've got to meet haven't just been in my industry, but have been in other industries as well. Um, so the network that's come with it is great. The support's fantastic, um, and yeah, it just keeps giving really. Congratulations on that! It does sound amazing, and all of the articles are fantastic. So. Let's talk a little bit about what you do. So today we're sat in the Network Rail offices doing this podcast. We are. But what's the background on that? Um, so I've had a bit of a varied career. I've um, been with Arcadis for 10 years, actually 10 years as of the 1st of September, so okay. my, my anniversary, which was nice. Um, but I joined Arcadis when it was E.C. Harris, and I joined as a graduate quantity surveyor. Okay. Um, so having studied... Um, quantity surveying and construction management at Reading University, mm-hmm. um, I decided to go into client-side quantity surveying, effectively, so consulting quantity surveying, um, and spent a few years working in our education department, doing a lot of work with Oxford University, which is great fun. Amazing. Building big um, science laboratories in Oxford and everything, so that was great as a, as a kind of starting role. Um, I then uh, did my APC with the RICS, um, which was a great opportunity, although really, really tough, um, and I moved into project management. Mm-hmm. And I spent a few years working in London with private residential developers, um, which was uh, interesting, central London, high-rise developments, um, yeah. logistical issues, all that kind of <laughs> stuff. But um, yeah, really good fun. Um, and then I 
went and spent a couple of years working in the Middle East, yeah, uh, which was a big change for mm-hmm. me. Um, and I worked in Qatar for nearly two and a half years on wow. a big program of social infrastructure works. So effectively, we were building um, a healthcare system, an education system. Um, we were also building zoos and theme parks and everything else. Um, some of which didn't actually get built, but most of it did, particularly the critical stuff. So um, around the healthcare, hospitals, all that kind of stuff, and education, building lots of schools um, that just didn't exist before. You know, we take for granted in this country that we have the NHS, we have um, an education system, but that that's not the same everywhere. So I felt like it really made a difference over there, mm-hmm. which was interesting. Um, and then came back and spent um, a couple of, well, a year and a half, two years in our higher education um, team at Arcadis. So I was yeah. leading up a, a team of project program managers, again, doing lots of work for um, institutes like UCL um, and Imperial College London, and also working for local authorities around their schools programs too. So really uh, interesting, insightful stuff. Um, and again, some interesting things around laboratories um, for dementia research and everything else so yeah really really wow. interesting things um, and then more recently so at the end of 2017 I moved into infrastructure okay um, so a bit of, bit of a challenge bit of a change for me but but what I needed um, and I'm now working with Network Rail and we're working on a cross-industry program that's mm-hmm. designed to digitize the uh, railway network across the entire um, Great British Railway Network Fantastic. Yeah. So you've had such a varied career, but with one company. Yeah, I've been, I've been lucky around that, actually. Um, and some of the people ask me why I've been there for 10 years, but I'm really passionate about what Arcadis does yeah. um, and the people that, that are there um, and the fact that the company values are really aligned to them. Yeah. Um, and for me, it's, it's given me everything I need and more, and it keeps um, helping me grow and develop. So, um, yeah, that's, that's which is really important for me. And it feels like you've been given different job roles and different opportunities along the way. So it must feel like sometimes you're actually work, going to a different company, even yeah. though you're within the same space. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and I think without going on to too much of a, um, a mantra about personal development, you know, you make your own choices and you push your own career. Yeah. Um, and it's about putting yourself out there and about grabbing opportunities when they arise. Um, and yeah, you're the master of your own destiny, basically. So just yeah, grab the opportunities while you can, is what I would say. And have they come up for you and you've just seen them and you've gone for them? Is that what's happened or have they been offered to you? How have you progressed in that way? For anybody listening who is now looking into that sort of a career? Uh, probably a mix of both, to be fair. Um, I've always um, liked to have a bit of a plan around what what I want to do and what my next moves are and always looked at that as more of what are the, where are the gaps so if I'm looking at my building blocks to take me to where I want to be in five years time let's say what are the big gaps around that and that's driven some of the moves <coughs> or at least it's driven the intent to look for a next role that mm-hmm. might pick up on maybe more kind of P&L activities or financial performance or actually I haven't really led a big team so team leadership that kind of stuff so and the move to infrastructure for me was really about getting involved in major infrastructure programs mm-hmm. uh, and major programs and actually in the UK where better to go than infrastructure yeah. <laughs> there's lots of opportunity there at the moment you know and there's a big pipeline of work around that you know in rail and aviation on highways it's it's all there up for grabs it's a lot of work to be done 
fantastic. Well, it's exciting and it's exciting that you get to do those varied careers. I think that's really encouraging for people who want to get into the industry. Yeah. Okay, so let's jump to a section of this podcast, which I've been doing every week, which is all about what's going on in the news and our favourite news articles. So we'll start with mine and then we'll go into yours because sure. I think yours will then continue the conversation for the rest of this podcast. Okay. So if you haven't seen it already, I've put out today or over the last seven days that I think there's probably going to be a property crash in London over the next 12 months or at least the market's going to recalibrate. For those of you who have already seen this and left some comments, yes, it might not happen in your local areas. For those of you who are investing up north or areas that still haven't seen a bounce back from 2008, but I think we're at a place where um, the London property market really can't get that much higher. Um, And I've talked about where you should be looking to invest maybe outside of London um, and also having a look at the yields. So just be aware of that over, over the coming months Okay, it might not be as drastic as what we saw in 2007 and 2008, but when you're starting to price out people who are working in the city, that can be a pretty terrible thing. It will start making people leave, they'll be living further out, and in which case, house prices are going to have to stabilise in order to meet demand. So it's something we need to be looking at. It's not necessarily something that's a knock-on impact from Brexit, as certain people have been asking me about is that something to do with Brexit and mm, probably the B not. word. I no. said the B word <laughs> <laughs> but that's why I get asked yeah. Brexit is it something to do with Brexit I don't think the house price problem in London is <laughs> no I don't think so I don't know I don't think it's to do with Brexit and I'm thinking to do with Brexit but not that <laughs> yeah it's just people being optimistic that prices are going to go up and up and up and up but no, wages are not matching that at the moment it's just unsustainable Unsustainable. Completely unsustainable. Yeah. So for those of you who've been asking, no, it's not. I don't think about this because of Brexit. I know that um, there have been newspaper articles out that that's the reason, um, but I doubt that. Just an easy, an easy scapegoat, isn't it? It is an easy scapegoat. Everything is blamed on Brexit at the yep. moment, but certain things aren't at all. Nothing to do with it. Um, and f- because if you do try and invest in London at the moment and you want to. Um, you want to buy yourself an investment property, chances are the yields or the income is just not going to be worth your hassle unless you're going to be buying the whole thing in cash. But then is that really a good investment? What about the opportunity cost of investing elsewhere? These are things you've got to take into account. Um, And I've said it openly that I'm selling my flat in London at the moment because I was planning on renting it out, but quite frankly, the income's not going to cover the expenses. It's not an asset for me. I'll reinvest the money elsewhere. Um, I think it's happening a lot. Yeah. I don't know many people that are staying in London at the, at the moment, at least in central zones one, two, and three. No. Most no. people moving further out. Absolutely. So it's something we need to be aware of. So keep your eye on that because that does then have a knock on effect for other regions where if people are moving out of the city and they're moving outside of the city, where are they going? We need to keep an eye on that. Um, and I think that ties in quite nicely with... It does, actually. <laughs> yeah, so, so reconnecting up the world to London. And I think for me, the, the biggest thing in the news has probably been Crossrail this week. Yeah. Um, can't get away from it. Um, we knew it was going to be delayed. Um, the announcement came out that it's not going to come out until autumn 2019. It was due to be in place by the end of this year. Um, but for me, that's not necessarily... Okay, whilst it's not great news, I get yeah. that. But really it's a wake-up call for everyone to realise that this is an incredibly 
um, complex and challenging infrastructure programme. It's yeah. the first of its kind in the UK. We've never done it before. So it's it's gonna it's gonna face challenges, it's gonna face delays. Um, there's things that you just can't predict, no matter how well you risk manage the project or the programme. So um, and that's generally inherent in in most major programmes. They're yeah. all different. They tend to generally be transformational and throughout the life cycle of major programmes they'll change um, and throughout that change you'll need to be flexible and agile to that change and um, you can't hold people accountable for milestones that were set a long time ago um, when everything around those has changed, so the baseline's changed. So um, yeah, we'll still get there with Crossrail and I think how that links into your article is actually that's really helping to connect up kind of east to west basically or west to east if you look at it from that yeah. way and if you um particularly around some of the areas where the elizabeth line goes to so abbey wood for example not maybe the most desirable areas in london but actually i'm pretty sure that with crossroad coming in those p- property prices have absolutely soared yes because they're suddenly so well connected um and you can't you know connectivity is what we're all about these days um definitely I don't know, I mean, I assume most people, like me, would look at where they're going to live and work out how long it's going to take them to get to work. Mm-hmm. Because you want to be close to a rail station if you commute by train, you want to be close to a tube station if you commute by tube, you want to be close to a motorway if you have to use the motorway a lot. So you think about those and you factor those into your um, considerations about when you're going to buy or maybe rent a property. Um, so the more connected a place is, obviously, the, the more it's going to cost. So I, I personally live in Weybridge. Yeah. So it's great. It's got commuter links into London, um, into Waterloo. It's near the M25. It's near the M27. It's near the A3. Mm-hmm. It's 20 minutes from Heathrow. It's it's half an hour, 45 minutes from Gatwick. It's great. It's expensive. Yeah. You know, and so you pay, you pay for that connectivity. Um, and it is very much a kind of commuter land. And it's often where people that used to live in central London then move out to when they want to have families, etc., because it's got everything there that you need. It's got good schools, it's got greenery, but actually it's so close to London you can still kind of touch it, basically. Yeah. Um, and that absolutely has driven the price of that sky high. Well, it does, doesn't it? Infrastructure, improvements in infrastructure, or even speculation yeah. around it can increase values. Oh, gosh, yeah, absolutely. And I think, I don't know, it's difficult, but we're never going to be able to connect up every single pocket of the UK. No. It's not possible. But there is a fundamental issue with our current infrastructure systems mm-hmm. um, and we're doing a lot to improve our highways um, and we're introducing smart motorways to make things run quicker so there's less traffic jams uh, we're doing a lot with our airports um, so to make us more connected globally as well and to, to boost income that way and there's still a lot of work to be done with our railways absolutely I mean I'm sure everyone listened to this podcast at some point in the last week for those people that use trains has faced some kind of delay mm-hmm. or timetabling issue or the list can go on and on and on um, but unfortunately it's it's a big industry and it's incredibly fragmented um, for various reasons which I'm sure were right at the time that they got put into place but yeah. we, we, we are left with a legacy that that means we can't implement a British railway network ride wide transformational programme or change programme to bring in your operating model easily. It's going to mm. be, it's going to take a while. We're going to have to bear with us. <laughs> <laughs> so talk about what the project is at the moment. So what we're, what we're trying to do at the moment is um, 
set up ways of working to help enable the digital transformation of the rail network, mm-hmm. um, which in real life sounds a bit like turning analogue signalling into digital signalling, mm-hmm. uh, improving um, traffic management of trains, bringing in new um, software systems, um, and effectively trying to reduce the number of delays. Um, so the number of incidents that, have, that happen on the railways um, in terms of um, that, that can cause delays, for example, so signalling issues or um, potential faults on trains, etc., has decreased. Yeah. The trouble is, is that the recovery time from those incidences has increased. Okay. So actually, we're not seeing any net positive impact from from the decrease in the incidents in the first place, um, and we're also um, seeing um, a need for more capacity on trains. Mm-hmm. And it's not very easy to build more railway lines. I mean, you can expand the M3 to be a four-lane um, or a three-lane, sorry, um, smart motorway. You can't really change the London to Brighton line to be, you know, a dual carriageway. It just doesn't work that way. We don't have the luxury that some of the highways do around that kind of thing. Um, so we're operating within quite tight parameters. Yeah. Um, so what, what, what the programme is looking at doing um, is to be that centre of excellence um, and support business cases for um, digital technologies across the various routes in the UK. And that will effectively take signalling from trackside onto um, onto the trains itself. Yeah. So that's a big safety benefit as well, so, so less trackside working. Um, and it will get us really on a par with what our European counterparts have been doing for years. There's nothing new. Um, but but we need to get on board, if you'll excuse the, um, the pun. <laughs> <laughs> so how quickly does this kind of thing happen? Not very quickly. Not, no, I no, can imagine. No. So if you can imagine all the different bodies that are involved in this, so you've got Network Rail who effectively, and I'm, I'm talking really simplistically here, they mm-hmm. own the track, and you've got the routes that have own the different routes in the UK. Um, those are generally franchised out to different um, franchisees, and that goes through the DFT. Um, funding is quite locked down, so you have funding for renewals, funding for enhancements. They'll come from different pots. Um, yeah, so there's there's a number of different stakeholders. And that's just scratching the surface. Yeah, the number of different stakeholders are involved in the rail industry. Um, and for me, having been on the program for eight months or so now. It's been really eye-opening as to how complex it is, um, and how um, it helped me understand why these things take a long time. And it will. So bear with us, but we will get there. <laughs> You'll get we will there. get there. We will get there. And are you directed a lot by demand? So what the demand is in local areas, or what? What is yeah. it that? pushes this kind of thing forward because obviously we know that when infrastructure improves people want to live in areas yeah. and that starts pushing the housing market up people then want to buy in the areas yeah. and they're getting these higher rental yields do you do you see that do you have a appreciation yeah. for it no absolutely um i think there's well i mean with all the with hs2 there's clearly a big drive to to link the north of london into london itself and actually to to drive that economic growth in a centre that isn't the capital. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the right thing to do. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and that will support probably better standards of living, I'd suggest, as well. Because yeah. people aren't having to either live in very small studio apartments in central London because all they can afford, 
or or living out of London, but maybe not in a bigger place because or in a nicer place they'd want because they're still paying huge um, uh, kind of costs in terms of commuting as well. Yeah. So there's lots of that around. Uh, you know, we talked a bit earlier about people moving out of London. Yeah. I think that will continue to happen um, purely because people just can't afford to buy in London. And, no. And maybe maybe I mean I don't know. I'm, I'm, walking into your territory here, but may, maybe maybe the model will change a bit and we won't be so driven to invest or buy a property for ourselves. Maybe we'll look at other other investment opportunities out of London and still keep renting in London. You just don't know what people will do. But, no. Um, but generally, I think people uh, talk about this in a kind of stereotypical way. You know, it's, it's built into us that owning property or living in the house you live in makes economic sense rather than giving it away to landlords. Um, and that is generally people's drivers. I think it gives them security to have to own a home, mm-hmm. even if the bank owns ninety five percent of that. <laughs> yeah. um, and for me, buying my own house was like a really big step into adulthood in many ways. Yeah. Um, and I think that's kind of the way that we've been brought up around that, particularly well, particularly a lot of um, my peers anyway. So um, there's a lot of work to do around connecting up the UK and making it more accessible. But I don't mm-hmm. think we can ignore. Um, the remote connectivity that we're getting as well. Yeah. Um, so a lot more people working from home. Yes. Um, particularly if, you know, it's raining and they don't want to walk to the train station. Mm-hmm. Um, then they'll work from home. Um, I'm talking, you know, I'm being a bit facetious, but, yeah, generally um, uh, people do... I think it's about being more flexible, isn't it? Yes, um, it is. And recognising that actually you don't need to be in the same room with someone all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's a balance around building those relationships and you still do need that face time as well. Mm-hmm. So um, I think we'll see maybe a change in how the rail operates. So at the moment you buy, I buy an annual season ticket. Yeah. So that, to, for me to get the most value out of that, I need to come into London every single day. Oh really? So well, does well, it doesn't make sense if you're buying for four days. I don't no, know how. The... Yeah, yeah. So, so it does. It, I mean, not, that's probably being a bit extreme. Yeah. But if I'm going to buy a year pass, I know the more I use it, the more benefit I of get. Of course, yeah. But and buying a daily ticket is just extortionate. So I would never do that either. But as we become more agile and flexible with the way we work, we have more online meetings. We're more connected globally through the internet. Actually, you might find that people then start to pick and choose when they maybe come into London or when they go elsewhere. Yeah. So that model might not suit everyone. So that flexibility is going to be needed as well. Um, and I do think there's going to be some competition in the future to entice people to start to use trains. I mean, yeah. you're still not going to be driving in central London. <laughs> I mean, why would no. you do that? And even with automated cars... I mean, what? So then, everyone that was on a train is going to get into an automated car. Well, that's just going to mean there's gridlock. So that's not going to work either. So no. the trains are still going to be needed, mm-hmm. as are the tubes. But I just, I think maybe we'll look at a different way of operating that won't require everyone to be in an office all the time. But there will also need to be some of that kind of face-to-face um, physical connectivity as well. That's quite exciting, though, isn't it? Yeah, I think Giving so. Giving people that flexibility mm. because we've got the technology. Yeah. And allowing them to actually think, do you know what, actually, if I do move out, it's still going to be cost-effective for me to maybe just commute two days a week yeah. or three days a week. And think about how much that would improve your quality of life as well. So much. I mean, to not have to do the commute. I mean, my commute um, can be anywhere between an hour to an hour and a half. Wow. Which, which 
in total of a day is between two and three hours, which is quite a long yeah. time, really. Um, and I think if you get that back, I mean, I wouldn't want to do it with myself, to be fair. Um, <laughs> but I'd find something to amuse myself, I'm sure. But um, giving that time back to people, I mean, just happy workforce happy workforce, more productivity, surely. So I do think employers need to, and we're going off on a bit of a tangent here, but we do need to think about how they how they do support their staff to have a better quality of life. And a lot yeah. of that is role modelling. A lot of that is living out your values and behaviours um, and being open about that. And, and yes, building the trust, but then allowing people to make their own decisions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. mm-hmm. And it would be great to see that as we... As technology improves, that kind of building that out with the infrastructure, the way people are working, the way people are living, yeah. and interconnecting that, that will, that will essentially not just centre the property market around certain locations, it will start changing the way people think about where they're investing, because all of yeah. a sudden it becomes more valuable to invest maybe in somewhere that's not quite as connected, but yeah. you know you're going to get reliable service and it's still going to be cost-effective. Exactly, exactly. And I, I do think we'll start, I mean, we already have seen, but there will be these sort of hubs that, that exist outside of towns. People are, I mean, again, generalising, but people are looking, people are thinking about their quality of life more. Um, yeah. And there's there's more of a focus on actually um, enjoying the life you've got because you've only got one Um, and uh, moving away from the stressful city job and maybe moving into different areas and helping to boost the more more local economies as well Mm -hmm. and that that could see a change in the demographic I think too so without going into the whole Brexit subject we don't really know what's coming with that but also we don't really know what's coming in terms of people movement and no and you know, a number of people I know have gone, actually, I'm not going to do this anymore. Um, What's the conversation we had? Yeah. I'm burnt out. Um, I'm sick of working 12-hour days and not really seeing, you know, yes, maybe I get paid a lot of money for it. I mean, I'm not saying I do, but other people might. (laughs) Um, Just, again, talking generally, you know, and but when do you get the opportunity to enjoy that? So, and actually, money's just money, isn't it? It's about enjoying the quality of life. Um, so yeah, I think we're starting to see a bit of a movement around that as well, which I think which I think could change the way that we operate too. But I think that's it. That's a good thing as well. That needs that kind that work life balance. Yeah. That way that people live in their life changing. Uh, I think that's interesting. I think probably over the next five to ten years we'll see that more and more as I think so. more companies think think about it as well. But certainly, every property event I go to now, we we'll talk about it. well being is hot topic. Yep. And that coincides with prop tech as well, which is, seems to be making things far more efficient and changing the way that the property industry is moving. And then when you see infrastructure, that catching up with that, putting in place standards as well, which yeah. means that, you know, we already see it where you can work on the train. Yeah, and I do. I do too. Yeah. If when, I'm, when I'm lecturing, almost that counts as time. Yeah, absolutely. Abs- and, and time is valuable. Yeah. And I'd much rather... You know, I, I get on the train at 7.15 in the morning and I start work at 7.15 in the morning. Yeah. And and that's actually probably my most productive half an hour coming from Walton on Thames into, or Weybridge into Waterloo. That, yeah. That, that, you know, because I get so much done in that half an hour before everyone else is there to distract me. Um, so there's definitely something to be said around that. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's a, it's being adaptable and flexible to different ways of working, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that's, that's, what we, that's, that's where we're moving to, I think, as a nation. Yeah. So yeah, it's interesting. Interesting times ahead. <laughs> but it's exciting that you're at the face of that. Yeah. 
And is that something which, moving kind of into now looking at, uh, I guess, careers in the property industry, which I always want to talk about because so many people listen to these podcasts and get ideas about, oh, actually, I need to be looking at, maybe they don't want to get into infrastructure or project management side of things, but they do need to have an appreciation for it. Um, And I, I mean, what, what, gets you excited about this every day um I think just the fact that what I'm doing is having a wider impact and is making yeah. a difference hopefully although it's it, it would take a while I'll keep of saying course. that it will take of course a while. yeah and nothing happens um, overnight. and in all the roles I've done in my career um they've all made a positive impact so whether it's working with, like I said, my previous role was working with Dementia Research Institute in Central London. Um, I mean, that's pretty tangible in terms of the difference that that's making. But also, huge, hugely valuable and learning for me around... Um, so, I'm not just... You know, you're not just building a building. You're making somewhere where they're... Hopefully, and the, the I was promised now in certain terms that they will find a cure for it... Um, eventually mm. but again it'll take time of course um but you, you know it's about it's about really living and breathing and understanding what it is that that you're doing and why you're doing it so mm-hmm. i'm not just building a building you're building a building that's potentially going to change people's lives for yeah. the better and that's not just people that suffer from dementia that's people that are caring for those people and supporting those people and their families as well so that's that's you know really mind-blowing in many ways yeah you know all the way all the way through to building schools where actually you're um, making nice environments for teachers because teachers get a bloody hard time. Yeah. So you're making a nice environment for them to work in, and you're supporting future generations as well. Um, and I spend a lot of time, and I, you know, you've mentioned on the podcast before around promoting the industry to the next generation because one of the key things that we're finding at the moment, particularly in the railway industry, is that there isn't the supply chain coming through to support these changes. So you know, going back to Crossrail, I know I don't know the ins and outs of why it's delayed, of why it's so late, but. I'm pretty sure that some of that's probably due to um, labour market and availability of supply chain. Yeah. Um, and that's only going to get worse. Again, I'm going to mention the B word, but that's only going to get negatively impacted by Brexit as well. It yeah. already has been. Um, so we need to be encouraging more people to come into the industry. And that's, you know, that's men, that's women, that's different ethnic backgrounds. That's, that's People bring different things to it. So we need to keep promoting that as well. Yeah. And also, I think as well, what's really important is the takeaway is that everybody who's in it and wants to have that positive impact will have that positive impact. Absolutely. As long as you're thinking not just about the money in your pocket that's going in your pocket, you're thinking about actually what you do on a daily basis and whether you're a property investor, whether you are someone who's looking to get into the property industry, whether you're a surveyor, wherever you work from... If you can go out there and think, actually, what I'm doing is changing someone else's life, that makes it far better, doesn't I it? I think so, and that and that then goes back to the whole, you know, work, um, to the whole quality of life thing that we've talked mm. about. And actually, you know, I don't, we don't, I don't. What's what I'm looking for? I don't just go to work to go to work and then get paid and come home again mm. because that doesn't. That's not enough for me. I go to work to enjoy what I'm doing, um, and you have to be—you have to enjoy it and be passionate about it. Otherwise, it's such a huge chunk of your life. Yeah, you know, <laughs> a huge chunk of your life. <laughs> I agree. So, just to round off this podcast, let me ask you: What are you excited about that's going to happen over the next twelve months, two years? What have you got coming up? Or how do you think the property industry is going to change? Or... Um, do you know what? I don't. 
I my crystal ball is a bit hazy at the yes. moment. Um, and I don't know what's going to happen, but there's there's huge change coming. Yeah. And I think for me, it's just about embracing it, um, and it's about it's about looking at what others are doing, um, and it's about just trying to find a little bit of stability, mm-hmm. but at the same time being agile and flexible around that. Um, and I think the great thing about our industry, and I've worked in, I've worked with a property focus, I worked with infrastructure focus. It's so transferable. Yeah. Um, that that I'm sure whatever change comes, we'll adapt to it. You know, we haven't even started to talk about digitization, um, AI, automation, all that kind of yeah. stuff. You know, and that's the kind of thing you can't bury your head in the sand anymore around that. Just grab it. You know, I'm not I'm not suggesting by any means I'm understand how it all works, but mm. it doesn't mean I'm going to be shy about coming forward and try to adopt it in what we're doing because it's it just you've just got to get on board again railway pun apologies <laughs> I love that yeah. that's such good advice to round off with we may not know what's coming but you've just got to look and see and you adapt to it because you've got to keep going you can't stay where you are yeah that's amazing thank you Bryony for coming on this podcast it's been great thank you for having me <laughs> Thank you, everybody, for listening as well. Um, If you want to know more, head on over to www.ncrealestate.co.uk or come over and join me in the Property Investment Mastery Facebook group. Again, if you've liked this, push like and push subscribe so that you get this into whatever podcast provider you listen on first thing on a Tuesday morning. Thank you for listening, and I cannot wait to catch up with you all again soon.